This is 680 CJOB. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Main Ingredient. I'm your host, Kevin Bergen. And I'm Lewis Classy, the uh, newest guest host on The Main Ingredient. Lewis, what's going on today, man? Nothing, man. Just here to uh, reminisce and talk about the amazing meal that we had at the Wet and Dry Department. What's the Wet and Dry Department? It's, uh, it's the new lounge right above the Mitchell Block down there on McDermott. I was sick food, hey? It was, like, unreal. So we had a chance to talk to Sean McKay, who is the owner-slash-chef of the Wet and Dry Department. The man is a culinary genius. He really is. But he doesn't think of himself as one, right? No, he's super humble. Super humble and super low-key about it, which is, like, makes it better, I think. For sure. I thought he was super cool. And you guys actually got along because you're both redheads. Yes, we are both redheads. And you're both chefs. I feel like that was probably the more common thread. The chefs or the redhead? <laughs> uh, at this point, I don't know. You're not all tatted up like he was, though. I'm not all tatted up, no. No, so let's just call it redheads then. All right, so we had a long conversation with him about how he got into opening this restaurant and how he got into the culinary industry in general. Yeah, we talked about that, and then uh, and then lucky for us, he fed us until we were fit to burst. Which is awesome. It was I amazing. His job. I felt like I felt like the girl in uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory who blows up. You remember that? You kind of look like her too. Violet Beauregard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to cut to the interview and uh, talk to Sean right now. All right, so let's roll back. Let's go back to. Um, thanks for being on the main ingredient, by the way. My my pleasure. I've uh, this is long overdue. It is. I would it say. is. We spoke like. Seems like every year. I think yeah. I I sent you a note about yeah. Probably the first time was a year and a half ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even longer than that. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We kind of went back. I guess you're too busy. I'm too busy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I see all my all my buddies doing a show. I'm like, man, oh man, I'm. Why? Like, why yeah, come what? on, just let me back. Why? And then Lewis is the glue. That's it, man. I'm I'm the glue that holds this whole thing together. You are the glue. Yeah. Plus, he's a, a fellow ginger too, which I. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Here, let me, let me get this off. Gla- we got we got the the glasses and the ginger uh, ginger beard going on. There so it is. we. Instant connection. Yeah. So you grew up in a few places. So obviously, some of those places must have played a big influence on what attracted you to food, why you wanted to cook. Absolutely, I'd say it was a combo of of maybe maybe a little a little bit of the moving around all the time, mm-hmm. and my parents both having to work like crazy, which. My mom hates it every time I say this, but she was the worst cook <laughs> you could ever imagine, and she 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 knows it. She knows it, but um, just under the bus. Yeah, we. Totally. Oh God, We're like two cut, minutes cut, in. Cut, cut. <laughs> okay, well, reset. No, no, no. But uh, we moved around a lot. My parents always like my dad worked a lot. My mom worked a lot, and uh, you know, if we didn't want McDonald's for dinner, it was uh, it, it was. No, no other option, which most kids would have been all about. But I was I having having moved around a lot and and uh, spending time, you know, in Toronto and like a very ethnic neighborhood and getting to scope out all these different foods when at a young age and you know, uh, born in Ottawa, like you know, hopped all around and then hit up. Uh, we were in Europe for when I was in high school, and all of a sudden, whole other food culture and. And having to kind of like, I was into food at that point, and uh, and at the same time, my parents weren't cooking, and I was like, okay, well, this is going to be my this is my jam right here. I'm uh, I can I can skip a bunch of school, and if if there's dinner on the table uh, when the, when they get home, then they can't be mad at me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of that's how it all started. Actually, is uh, just in high school, yeah. Just uh, that's where I really got into cooking. I was you know professionally working as a woodworker, so still creative kind of hands-on working with my hands but then 
that was the afternoons and uh, during the day, skipping out on school and hitting all the markets in Europe and hanging out with friends and and then having uh, dinner on the table when my parents both got home from work and uh, and then that was uh, I thought at the time my my get out of jail free card. So that would be a get out of jail free card in my house. Hey, listen, that doesn't sound bad to me. So bad at all. yeah, yeah. So, what what country was that? Uh, Belgium. Okay. Belgium. Yeah. So I have uh, yeah mussels and fries and oh man. Oh, my God. And yeah, all that all that rich kind of French influenced and yeah, yeah, yeah. and at the same time, Belgium was very, especially where we lived, was the, the more kind of poor poor side of the of the block. So where the food was, is always going to be better. Yeah, exactly. It's that's where. 100%. So it's like comfort food's blown up right now. But mm-hmm. can you imagine like European comfort food? Like, yeah. That that's that's what got me. That's what got me into the whole game. Is like. What I can go for lunch at school, and instead of going to McDonald's, I can go and like grab a baguette and like some really nice like super fatty smooth cheese and a roast chicken, and and, and it'll cost it. like less than what I what I would have spent at like the pizza bowl. That's another point <laughs> I, everyone used to hit up. You know, you get your pizza, your fries, and whatever. And you're actually eating like legit food. Yeah, yeah but at, at the time, yeah. at the time, I was just like, man, I'm this is. At the same time, you're not allowed off campus, and I was like hanging out with all the all the uh, the, the Belgian kids, and and not hanging out with like the uh, the army army brats, and going out and exploring. I had a, a cool dirt bike at the time too, which definitely helped. Yeah, I had a Yamaha GT125. Oh, get out of here! Yeah, two stroke. That was uh, yeah out in, out in Europe. My parents actually used to. It got to the point where I would I would actually everyone would be leaving for work in the morning, and I would jump on my bike. Okay, cool. I'm going to school too. Yeah. Half the trip, we, you know, it was the same trip for all the whole family, and then all of a sudden, I would take the the UE. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they actually they actually figured it out a couple times, and they would actually like they would do the UE too, and uh, and, and show up back at the at the house, and then I'd be like, oh crap, drive drive by, I see <laughs> mom and dad aren't falling for this one. Like, oh. Um, obviously, carpentry still plays a big role in your life. So, what was the turning point when you were deciding what you're going to do? It, it's it sounds like really not that magical, but when I was I, I worked in a wood shop mostly when I was in Europe, moved back to Canada, and my dad. Both my parents are small town Saskatchewan folk. <laughs> you, you, you learn how to do every single thing you can to keep the keep the farm going and uh, my dad was, had a, was fixing some chair when I, when I came uh, in my dad is literally here fixing electrical working on tables with me refinishing the floor with me so that was like a big part of I'm very much hands on so when I came back to, to Winnipeg I, I milked the oh I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing for as long as I could and then eventually it was like okay Sean like you gotta go to school I was like okay Red River seems seems my my speed hands-on kind of tech school culinary woodworking culinary woodworking and then uh, eventually I was like okay need to pick this I like woodworking but there's a lot of restaurants in Winnipeg and uh, and that's the way that's eventually and at the same time as a part-time job I was working in a kitchen at the, at the time doing huge institutional cooking for 175 just following recipes that that kind of thing i was like okay like i really dig this but i can't get creative doing institutional cooking i'm gonna go to culinary school and and then see where this goes did, did you find that um when the decision came to pick woodworking or, or cooking that like i don't know of how professional woodworkers operate but i've heard anyways that a lot of the time you just end up kind of like 
banging out the same thing over and over. Well, and, and that was a cool thing is I, yes, absolutely. Cause I was like, okay, I don't want to go work at, you know, blankety blank furniture factory in Winnipeg after I'm done. You just make you know, the, same. Out the same sofa frame. <laughs> um, and early in the early in the game, the cool thing is I never actually had to go through that because I I found there was a wood shop out in Belgium that uh, that was geared towards the U.S. military guys and they needed a, a wood shop supervisor. So that, it was super cool because I would literally just like hang out. People would come in with all kinds of projects. I had like this old guy who was like building. He originally had started building a plane and then. Scrap that idea. Took all the you wood. Think? <laughs> took, took all, but it was gonna be a, it was gonna be a wooden plane. Scrap that idea. Started building a boat. So I helped this guy like build a boat. It was just so I never had to do that like that assembly line kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got to do. I was spoiled. I got to do like whatever. And mostly, you know, as a supervisor, all I did there was like learn from all these. You know, guys who had 50, 50 years on me and three less fingers, and, and oh that's when God. you knew they they had spent their time in the uh, in the sh- in the shop there, and so yeah, so I was never had to really do the the, the grind of, yeah, the, yeah. of the factory, and then so I was just probably perpetuate my creative side, which sure. which you know I tried to do in the restaurant now too. Sean McKay is an interesting man. He sure is. His uh, story is pretty unique, isn't it? Yeah, and he doesn't. I don't think he realizes that. No, he's super understated about it. He's super low key about what led him to become a chef. Uh, we kind of discuss. He had two different options. He wanted to be a woodworker. He wanted to be a chef. And I'm riding my motorbike in Belgium. Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't everybody just skip school to go cook on their motorbike when I, they're 15 years dude, old? Like I don't, I don't get that he doesn't see that. Like it's very, very interesting. It's, yeah, it's amazing. So we're going to talk more about that when we return on the main ingredient with Kevin Bergen and Louis Glassy. We're going to be discussing Sean McKay, chef owner of both the Mitchell Block and the Lounge Above It, newly opened called the Wet and Dry Department. Welcome back to The Main Ingredient. I'm your host, Kevin Bergen. And I'm Louis Glassy, the newest guest host. Louis, who are we talking to? Whose restaurant did we go to this week? We were speaking with Chef Sean McKay, uh, chef owner of the Mitchell Block, and he just recently opened a lounge above it called the Wet and Dry Department. Do you have uh, one or two like specific memories from like childhood or something that you can kind of think about that may have subconsciously led you in the direction that they did? My... Like, what's your earliest food memory? My my dad is he is like he likes military accuracy, right? So and and he is very very much like I am, very hands on. And I remember him on a Sunday if he wasn't he didn't have to work on Sundays, he was gonna make soft boiled eggs, and that was a science for him. And he would like down to like boiling the egg perfectly in the shell, and then like that perfect incision in the top of the shell so you could pop that off and like get your spoon in there and the like perfect yolk to yeah. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so he was he he had no cooking background but he was like very much like me where like if you're going to do something you do it you do it the best you possibly can 100%. which is something that i yeah i still live by and and appreciate that those little lessons but that was kind of one of my first kind of cooking cooking this is how how next level you can take it yeah, so that kind of like, re- well, it's true. Like, yeah. there's such a technique to it. What is oh it? yeah, you know, and uh, it's interesting that you'd say that because I can totally see that. Like, 
the reinforcing because I love technique. I think it's like the most interesting part of cooking. Well, one of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can totally see that having like the egg and then you're thinking, okay, what's the perfect technique for this like super simple thing that so many, like everybody eats, yeah. you know, but how do you do it perfectly? Or perfect for you. Or perfect for you. Yeah, exactly. Or people that you're cooking yeah. it for, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, even even like gr- the grilled cheese game, you know, my, my dad had, it, had that down. That was <laughs> another one of those things where I'm like, whoa, this is like, you don't just like push a push a button on the microwave and all of a sudden you have like all this great food there's actually like a lot of technique that goes into it yeah so that was yeah it was and that's one of the things i love is like the amount of like control and the amount of detail you can put into like the most simple thing that is on a plate but you you know you had your hands on it you know you you were every part of that and and that's what i I appreciate it in the, in this business for still, sure. Still present from when you started to present day. Same oh thing. man, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's what keeps me going because you can always do something better too, right? Mm-hmm. So there's never the job's never done. Even if you've cooked the same thing a million times over, it can still you can still do a better job every single time. So and you still catch a buzz off doing a perfect plate. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sometimes that's funny. I catch a buzz off of eating a perfect. plate. <laughs> no, so, sometimes you know, you're built be- for this, buddy. <laughs> simplest thing just like the amount of caramelization you get on a, on something in a pan and then all of a sudden the guys in the kitchen are like dude you see that that mcdonald's golden crispy you know whatever that i yeah. just pulled off there and it's so it's it's cool to be like i try to surround myself around people who have that that love for the the attention of you know to detail and, and all that so yeah first job out of school school ends you're out Your oh next step is man what? uh first job wasn't a fish i had what's the uh like the first job like the first real cooking job you had that was when I, so when i re- like hired legit was uh moving back to winnipeg no like after culinary school like oh, a re- after, like a real after, kitchen yeah. with like legit technique that you're oh, actually man. proud of Whew. this is a this i like is, how you said that that you're actually proud of you were no, no, shame for is, work before <laughs> now a, it's real tricky stuff. one so i um well, when on my second co-op at Red River College, I was working for Terry, uh, Chef Terry Greta, who actually has like been my mentor since like you know looking back, you know he had a small restaurant, I have a small restaurant. I he's now uh, an instructor at the the college, mm-hmm. so you know I, I can still learn a lot of lessons from him. But on my second co-op at at the school, um, small restaurant, there was literally like three of us in the kitchen banging out like killer food yeah he he had like he i think he was like one of the first kind of like canadian regional cuisine kind of guys and uh and man he we i worked hard for that dude so coming right out of school and being like there was no kind of honeymoon stage it was like okay we're 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 gonna do this small restaurant that's your number one we're gonna work yeah we're gonna make this happen and that's but i loved it because i that like kind of small town mentality you know one well, regional know. food i mean like what do you mean by that uh he like, he like was, for, for instance uh trying to all of a sudden you know every back in the day it was just steakhouses primary of this and that and he was the first guy that i saw that was bringing in farmers who are raising bison who got local this was back before the internet where you could learn how to do all this stuff he we would bring in guys who were growing like mushrooms locally that just had like they had a farm and then their side business was like in their in their barn they had 
they were growing shiitakes and bringing those guys in and but uh yeah no he was and he was making all those connections bringing in all the the locals you know everything that was before and that was before like it was cool to be nowadays you you bring in something local you take a bunch of pictures on your instagram and you're you're like hey look yeah but that this was before you could do that and he was still doing that kind of stuff so that was yeah and that and that was really kind of one of the things that got me going like okay man like you're even the relationship you have with your suppliers is like clutch to running if that's the type of of spot you want to run with those type of values then you you lean on these guys like if if mushroom man doesn't show up Done. You're 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 in trouble on that dish. So you know, building those relationships and and having that like that connection of the guy producing and you're using and it's on the menu. So you have that that level of trust where that guy's not gonna it's not gonna make you eighty six. Uh, you know, the the duck breast with the shiitake mushrooms because yeah, yeah. he's gonna show up for you. So and which is like all about you know also bringing a level of respect to those people where they're. If they if they if they're getting low on shiitakes, if you have a good relationship, you're going to get those, and the other guys not right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Hundred percent. So, so he was yeah that was that was like my first while I was still in culinary school, and then after I finished, I won't say graduated. So you snuck out. I was working hard. Yep. I I, I had to skip those afternoon classes <laughs> on my motorbike. I had, oh, no, no. <laughs> It's funny because like the, the 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 instructors at school will like sit me down and and, and still be like like I you know it's been a while and yep. they're like hey, come back yeah all you have to do is finish this one course you know and then you're an alumni <laughs> you're one of us <laughs> <laughs> like, do it do it I'm, oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to run my business yeah so yeah, yeah that's that's out of the bag Sean never finished culinary school whatever man whatever. <laughs> School of hard knocks, school of life. You seem to be doing okay. Exactly right. Like, no one's coming here. Yeah, you know what? My my mom on Sundays, she still doesn't let me live that one down. That's hilarious. She's your mom. You know, that's never going to fly in a I love you, mom. I love you, mom. (laughs) You're actually. You're not the worst cook. You're not the worst cook. (laughs) You know, I'd like to own, uh, I'd like to not finish school and own a restaurant like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be uh, doing too bad for him, does it? Yeah, so, you know, hey, his mom may bug him, but I'm sure she's really proud of him. Yeah, he's doing a great job at that place. Yeah, so when we return, we're going to op- we're gonna talk about why he opened the Mitchell Block and the Wet and Dry Department. Origins of the name uh, when we come back to the main ingredient with newest co-host, Louis Glassy. And Kevin Bergen. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the main ingredient. Kevin Bergen here. Louis Glassy. We're talking to Sean McKay from the Mitchell Block at 173 McDermott. We went there for some meats, right? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. Oh, I'm still full. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to talk to Sean about why he, why and how he opened this restaurant. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, kind of the origins of the name Mitchell Block, um, and yeah, how we got started. Okay, so let, first let's talk about what led you to the Mitchell Block, opening your own place, and then we're going to move upstairs. To the okay, cool. Department. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, uh, yeah, so after culinary school, worked at Mies, uh, went back to school to do some other courses <laughs> at Red River <laughs> for culinary. I'm, I'm almost there. Almost. So close. <laughs> Summer school. That's why yeah, they're on yeah. him. Uh, so close. So that's, and that's when I started working, uh, yeah, doing some corporate restaurant stuff. And then uh, finally, this one guy that I had met in, well, one of many guys I, I met in culinary school, he was turned out to be the chef at Bonfire Bistro, mm-hmm. which was an awesome 
you know, River Heights local pizza Holy joint. 100%. So good. Yeah. So I uh, ended up going over there with him. And uh, that was my first, like, official chef gig where I was finally a chef. Mm-hmm. Don't know if I was, felt <laughs> like I was ready for it or not, but I guess the title was there. And, uh, yeah. But then having that, like, awesome family where working for someone, for, you know, another guy that I absolutely still love and still talk to but like my dad coming in on Sundays and doing the electrical over there and uh, you know me putting in the extra hours and a few years go by and I go man oh man like I'm working a lot I should probably just open my own place Mm -hmm. so uh started looking around and and through a friend of a friend kind of thing in the industry found out uh this place was here in the east exchange uh forever this 20 years yep. and uh, the guy you know the chef that had opened this place with his parents yep. put all the blood sweat and tears in he mm-hmm. was you know okay I'm looking for something different hooked up with him and then finally I was like okay we're we're doing this on our own now so that's kind of how the Mitchell block happened and yeah from there it was you know we're almost at five years now and, uh, and the, first, the first year you ran it as Travisi though as Travisi yeah yeah uh, and that was man that was a beautiful thing like that was not the intent mm-hmm. that was actually you know had a great rep though right oh oh absolutely yeah and man oh man and and at the same time the ideas I had for a menu if I would have just launched with that you know it's one thing to come up with a menu but it's a whole other thing to try to execute your dream menu out of a kitchen that you've never worked in before mm-hmm. you don't know you know don't know the limitations you don't know you know all that, all that sort of thing so to be able to like hop onto an existing menu that's been running out of this place for 20 years build a relationship with the existing clientele all of a sudden just ease into it kind of yeah thing. yeah and 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 at the same time you know you're you're working in the kitchen now and all of a sudden you're learning the the ins and outs and and then that's when you can start going like okay this is the menu i want and this is how we're going to do it here. Which, There's way more to running a business than is just put, putting out a menu. Oh, right? I can I can dream up a crazy menu, but we'll never be able to execute it. You know, it's every menu is very specific to the equipment you have in that kitchen, For which sure. is uh, one thing that you don't really think about a lot. But when you start dreaming up a, uh, a menu in one kitchen and then like moving into another one trying to execute it that's a that's a learning experience oh yeah so yeah so we ran it for a year Trey VC and then finally did the this is my restaurant now kind of new name new menu and the name the Mitchell Block everyone asks uh, I went through a billion different names for sure uh, tried to register some you know, you find out. It's amazing this, what things will stop you from naming your business. Right? I, I, because there's so many things you have to research this nowadays. This is the kind of stuff. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff I had no idea about. I was like, oh, I'm just going to open up a restaurant. You give it a name. You put a sign out there, and it's good to go. Well, first couple, you know, there's one little place in a small town in Ontario that has half the same name, and you know, you tried to register, and then all of a sudden they're like sending letters saying no. The, we're we're maybe thinking about opening up another venue in Mandatory. Everyone is trying to protect their brand. And so that kind of went on for a while. While that was happening, I was researching the building itself, trying to find art and stuff. I ended up going to Manitoba archives and just learning about the, about this building. Uh, And the Mitchell block I built in 1886 uh, was 
built for one of like the first uh, kind of. This was before pharmacies even existed. One of the first druggists in Winnipeg. And, Apothecaries. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I just kind of started to fall in love with like the history of the building, and I was like, at the same time, you know, you wanna you wanna represent the heritage of down these downtown Winnipeg buildings, and I was like, man, the Mitchell Block, like that's that was the original name. Let's bring it back. And and why and why was it called back then? Or why was it called that back then? So uh, the Mitchell Block, because it was built for a guy, a gentleman by the last name of Mitchell, who owned the Mitchell Drug Company. Okay, history class with Sean McKay. Yeah, I love it. yeah, it's all it's, <laughs> it's it's on the it's on the internet. Yeah, it's uh well, and and so I started pulling up like Manitoba ar- archives, old black and white photos and old prints. I was like, man, this is super cool. Like, there's like a lot of there's a lot of history here, and and and. The second, you know, the first floor of this building was uh, their retail wholesale outlet, and we're talking about like horse and buggy times here. That's insane. that's hilarious. Then, so that's, that's before your time, or uh, <laughs> this is like this is yeah, this is like a couple of years before I went into uh, <laughs> the woodworking shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is a ways back. So <laughs> come on, silly. <laughs> so Sick, cheeky youngin. So it's funny you're talking about how uh, I just have a bit of trivia for you fellas. Oh. Uh, you're talking about how it's you know difficult to find names because there's a guy in Ontario or whatever. Yeah. Did you guys know that Burger King is actually not called Burger King in the entire country of Australia? Really? For that reason? Yeah, it's called Hungry Jack's. So I, there's one restaurant in Adelaide called Burger King, and it's like yeah. a little greasy spoon. And everywhere else, it's Hungry Jack's in Australia. Yes. And it is, but it's Burger King. But it's like Burger King, it's, yeah. I, and that doesn't surprise me because in the small town that my parents grew up in, there was a Dairy Queen that was before the real Dairy Queen, and they still have the name Dairy Queen. So in the small town where my parents grew up, there's no chance that there's going to be a real legit Dairy Queen because there was one before them. That's unreal. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's it's like it's like this like shack. It's like a it's like a milkshake shack in a small town of like two thousand people. It's been there since. My parents were like, and you're not getting on eight. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, gotta wonder the kind of person who's that stubborn. <laughs> totally. eh? yeah, oh man, it's yeah, it's awesome. Like I guarantee this guy in Australia is just like, I love it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally. No, you're not getting. They probably offer them millions. I. That's the crazy part. Is like, why? Why wouldn't you go ahead with that? Because he's just a salty old codger. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. He's just- I bet you he makes a mean burger. I guess. I'm sure he's the king. Australia. I'm an idiot. You love Burger King, don't you? I love it. I love that story, I think, more than I love the food itself. That is a funny story. It's great, right? Because it probably is some crusty old man who does have that name. Oh, he for sure has just stood on his porch with his arms crossed. <laughs> just everyone that comes <laughs> up in a I'm suit. Burger King. Oh, it's so good. All right. So when we return, we're going to talk more with uh, Sean McKay from the, from the Mitchell Block and the Wet and Dry Department about the food. It was awesome. The food was awesome. So you're going to chef it up and break it down with him about... The food itself. Yeah, it was it was super delicious. And the whole concept, the, the whole concept that he built the wet and dry department around is one that I absolutely love, especially coming from the industry as I do. There's, he's making food that you're not really going to get anywhere else. 100%. So we're going to talk about it when the main ingredient returns. With host Kevin Bergen. And Louis Glassy. Kevin Bergen here. Welcome back to the main ingredient. You're with Louis Glassy as well, the newest guest host on The Main Ingredient. And we're talking to Sean McKay, owner of The Mitchell Block, and we're talking about the wet and dry department, which is the lounge above it, and we're going to talk about the food. It's unreal. It's unreal. 
wet and dry department. I'm excited. All right, so we'll jump. We'll jump. Yeah, we'll jump to the food of the wet and dry department. Thank you for the food the other day. The meal I left here, I like rolled out of here. Yeah, it was unreal. That was crazy good. You know what? There were so many other dishes I actually wanted to make for you guys. Like after you left, I was like, oh man, I should. I didn't. I didn't send you guys the ribs. I didn't send you guys. <laughs> we're all like ribs. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh man, this. Kale. I don't gotta be anywhere in it, dude. Stick around for a little bit. All this uh, kale Caesar I have going on right now. I know. I actually noticed that on the menu. I love it. Veal sweetbreads. Oh, is that what the sweetbreads are for? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Are those the croutons? Those are the. It's it, it. You know that whole idea of coming up with the new menu was like, okay, what can we do that's like approachable next level? And uh, it's funny how that dish i was like okay everyone loves caesar salad you gotta have a caesar salad but what can we do this different and everyone likes a chicken caesar salad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how can we emulate that well we'll we'll we'll, we'll make the croutons sweetbreads which a lot of people it freaks people out but it's i did it for this uh for this uh function i did and i literally i knew the one dad who was paying for it wasn't going to be down with it and his kids were all on board I wasn't being a shyster <laughs> but, but the, the man with the money you're going to yeah. <laughs> but when, when I brought it to him I, I said oh this is like a, a play on a chicken Caesar salad it wasn't until after he was like oh this is so good that all his kids I wasn't the one the whole oh, so he's what? eating it and not truly knowing what he's eating and then because and, it, it was like this like thing I had with the uh, with, with the kids this was actually on the rooftop of the Ashdown just behind us and then the kids were like, hey, dad, those are uh, veal sweetbreads. What's that? Well, that's a thymus gland of a uh, young cow. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes exactly like a chicken Caesar. So that's that's kind of where that dish came from, where like just trying to put spins on, on, on approachable things that other people would normally order, but like trying to do a little a little next level kind of something that they wouldn't normally see or might not actually try, you know, down, down the line. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, so, I mean, um, what we had, because you mentioned that you basically taken uh, the wet and dry department and trying to do, you said last time when we were here that you're trying to do basically... Like, elevated comfort, comfort food. Like, yeah. I was, well, it's been almost five years now, and the, the wet and dry department, this is, we're just literally, like, soft soft open kind of a month ago just getting off the ground and the and the whole thing was you know i'd been cooking pretty much fine dining for a number of years and then my own fine dining for a number of years and it was you know it was it was just trying to get back to okay but what do i what do i want to eat at the end of the night right and, what do you what do you eat when you're not making and, and what do i cook you know at, at the a lot of these menu items is stuff that like once everyone goes home what am I, you know, with these ingredients I have in this building, what is the, the, the dirty snack I want to make for myself before bed? And, and that was like kind of how every single one of these dishes developed was, okay, it's the end of the night. How, how am I going to take this food and just make it like the most like approachable before, you know, midnight snack food that I possibly can? And I'm a midnight snacker, dude. And so for those of you listening, this is, uh, this is what Sean considers a casual approachable food. Uh, <laughs> So sriracha mac and cheese with uh, a smoked cheddar bechamel. It was 
absolutely that was, that was, that was out of hand. Yeah, mac, mac and cheese, though. Everyone yeah, loves it. it totally. Right. So it was like right. craft dinner with, with sriracha on it, right. but just like the next level. Well, the mac and cheese portion brings the average person in. Yeah. And then you get wowed with that. Yeah. And we had, uh, we had a play off of uh, nacho fries. Yeah. So uh, yeah, straight from Taco Bell, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, but this was with uh, w- with veg chili, and then uh, was it creme fraiche on the top? Uh, creme fraiche on the top, some some chives, yeah, just hand cut fry. You know, it's it's basically like trying to do stuff that people have had before, but doing it from the ground up. Like you know, this is all from scratch. This is it's 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 what you kind of know, but with the the love that you didn't get. From from that <laughs> franchise. <laughs> that's totally it. That's totally it. Yeah. That's no so corners good. cut. What yeah. it would really taste like yeah. if it was made with actually real food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 what you wanted plus the love. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, and so I had a question about that actually. How did you make the veg chili taste so good? What's in it? What's the secret? Uh, espresso. No way. Yeah, that's uh, when, actually that's from my sous chef. He was that's. Uh, and that's his. He has uh, a French background, uh, like Quebecois background, and that was his secret. You know, his mom's secret for her chili was, you know, to add that earthiness, that kind of bitterness, mm-hmm. that like that extra level of good, of yeah. good, good is like uh, the warm flavor. Yeah. So, so it's you know, typically like a regular chili. You know, you get your cumin, your coriander, your garlic, your your chili flakes, cayenne. And uh, but you know maybe a little bit of maple in there yeah. and a little bit of uh, espresso. You know the maple is sweet. You get that bitter tone from the and earthiness from the the espresso. Yeah. So that's I don't know if that's what you were catching, but that's I think it is because mo- like whenever I've made veg chili and I'm not a big veg chili guy. You know what I mean? I don't make it often, but every time I make it, it's all high notes, right? It's all tip of the tongue. You know, you can taste the tomato, you can taste the beans, and then yeah. if you the only thing that's really giving it the low notes is like the cumin yeah, but yeah. if you put too much cumin in then it just tastes like cumin the espresso is like uh yeah that that, that was a cool little trick and that's the thing is like you know as long as i've been cooking i'm still learning you know every single every single day you know there's something new you can do and i was like when he took that on and he was like oh what if we add this this is what my mom does it's like Okay, cool. This is why I'm actually in in this industry. Yeah, because like sure. you're never you never know it all, right? No, absolutely not. It's awesome. Uh, next thing we had, we had fried chicken with basically your take on honey dill. Okay, hang on. Before we get into what, how the fried chicken was made and what it tastes like, is you're welcome. I gave you <laughs> the extra piece. He did give me there the three pieces. I gave him he did. the extra piece without a fight. Well, Kevin and I were both looking at the menu, and we both both of us at the same time kind of just went fried chicken. And then she put the chicken down. Okay, so right now I'm trying to imagine. Okay, so there's a, there's a thigh, there's a drumette, and the wing. Because so everyone got, knows that the dark meat is the best. Word up. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kevin, Kevin's all over that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> And so, there's one piece left, and we're both so, eating. So, so I want to know who got the thigh, who got the drumette, and who got the who got the wing. This Kevin is, got the thigh, yeah, and then I got the drumette and the wing. Okay, that's a fair trade because that thigh is good, is, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. so good. Right? That is the that the thigh is. I agree. That's, that's the money right there. Yeah, I agree. Um, but you got pretty good. Uh, <laughs> hey man, I'm not <laughs> complaining. I'm not getting yeah, the consolation <laughs> prize exactly. Um, and so, speaking of learning new things, you were telling me about the sauce that you made. How the heck did you make that? 
Right, yeah, so that was, you know, coming back to trying to make this menu food I want to make, food that, that kind of guilty pleasure food that everyone knows, but trying to put the spin on it. Honey, you know, honey mustard dill, that is, I don't know what's more Winnipeg than that. No, it's a Winnipeg you staple. Know, Mitzi, I... I'm surprised Mitzi's hasn't like copyrighted that thing and just like banking on the whole. But uh, yeah, so to switch it up, I mean, this is where the the playing around and trying to be a little creative and and trying to throw your own spin on it. So I was like, okay, honey mustard dill. Okay, how can we how can we roll this? Um, In the restaurant, we make well, and and you'll you'll see it up here in the Wendry department with. uh, with our you know spaghetti and red sauce with the house made ricotta on top well for all that ricotta that we make in the restaurant there's you know the curds and the whey and and the way we have more whey than we have ricotta and a lot of places just kind of put that down the down the drain but there's a, a scandinavian type caramelized cheese that is just based on on cooking down your whey and and reducing that and building that caramelized flavor and also that residual sugars that, that are in the way mm-hmm. give it that sweetness. So I was like, okay, this is, for one thing, you know, being wanting to do everything from scratch, no waste in the restaurant. What can we do with this? Well, okay, way, adding the way to the uh, the Dijon sauce, it, it just makes sense. So that's that's where that one came from. Yeah. And then there's also a dessert on the menu that we make, also a whey caramel, which you guys didn't get to try, but maybe, maybe Fingers after crossed. this. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. So but, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what you can do with you know when you're making things from scratch. There's there's endless possibilities with every single little kind of component that is left over. You know, it's, sure. it's, it's it's amazing. You know, when you you when you bring in a whole product and and start you know from the beginning. It's amazing what you can come out of, yeah. You know, and, and create from from all all that goodness that's that's there for sure. So, just for those who don't know, whey is basically like you said, curds and whey. And when you're making fresh cheese, you take the cheese out, and the liquid that's left over is, yeah, is called yeah. the whey. I don't even know how you have time to do all this stuff. I, I have know. I have great guys, and I also live at the restaurant, so <laughs> so there's no commute. So when everyone else is uh, in the in the car listening yeah. to the radio, I'm making cheese. <laughs> That interview was so good, and we talked about so many great things that we couldn't squeeze it into this radio show. But fear not, fair listeners, because we have the entire long form on the Main Ingredient Podcast. Which you can get on iTunes or Google Play, so you got to go listen to it. I'm Kevin Bergen from Main Ingredient. And I'm Lewis Glassy. And we'll talk to you next week. This is 680 CJOB.